Welcome to Big Blend Radio with your hosts, Lisa and Nancy, editors of BigBlendMagazine.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Big Blend Radio's military show. Every first Monday, we get to chat with Mike Guardia. He's a military historian, an award-winning author, a U.S. Army veteran, and uh, really, I think it's 25 books. Every time he comes on the show, I'm like, am I right on this? Because there's always mm-hmm. so many books in the works with him and being published. Uh, he was named Author of the Year in 2021 by the Military Writers Society of America. His latest books are Coyote Recon, The Forgotten Wars of Colonel J.D. Vanderpool, also The Combat Diaries, True Stories from the Frontlines of World War II. However, he's also known for writing three books about Hal Moore. Uh, We all know Hal Moore, A Soldier Once and Always. Uh, That was the very first biography chronicling the life of Lieutenant Harold G. Moore. Uh, His uh, leadership in the battle was in the movie and featured in the movie We Were Soldiers, starring Mel Gibson. Uh, Mike also wrote Hal Moore on Leadership, Winning When Outgunned and Outnumbered. The most recent book he has uh, published about Hal Moore is Hal Moore, A Life in Pictures. In fact, Nancy and I got to go to the Hal Moore Museum when we were in Bardstown, Kentucky oh, a few so cool. years ago. Nancy's like, hey, there's a Hal Moore Parkway. What? What? Text Mike right now. Mike, Mike, <laughs> I think we're in Hal Moore land and Mike gets on the phone. Yes, girls, there's a museum you need to go to, which we did. And we've done. Uh, oh, my gosh, that was an amazing museum. But uh, mm. we're so glad to have Mike back on the show today because we're going to talk about Fort Benning changing its name to honor Hal Moore, the late and great Hal Moore. So uh, everyone, Mike Guardia's website is MikeGuardia.com. His books are all on Amazon. But welcome back, Mike. How are you? Hey, Lisa and Nancy. I'm doing great. As always, it's a pleasure to be here. Hey, we're excited today, you know, because Hal Moore, I think this is kind of what started your writing career in regards to military history and writing about soldiers and generals and uh, telling the stories of heroes. Yeah, um, the biography I did on Hal Moore, yeah, that was one of the first books I did. And uh, yeah, it just, uh, it was an incredible project. I had a tremendous amount of fun putting that one together. Uh, Not the least of which was the, was for the reason that I got to meet Hal Moore himself. I got to spend time with him at his home and Mm. get to meet his family and, uh, you know, really get to know him on a personal level and, uh, and get to know the, uh, get to know the family to the point where, you know, I, I really consider, uh, I, re- I really consider the Moors to be part of my own family, really. Wow. Awesome. And, and That's did you awesome. get to meet his wife as well? Uh, sadly, no. Um, tragically, Julie passed away. Uh, I think about, mm. it, was, I had, it was about six years before I actually met Hal Moore. Mm-hmm. Um, and we it talk- was an incredible loss. I mean, she was uh, such a tremendous lady and touched a lot of lives, really did. It, that's why I wanted to bring her up. We were talking, you know, we do our big daily blend shows um, mm-hmm. and we always look at what's happened in history and, and pop culture and everything. And um, they were talking about, you know, uh, military spouses, wife day, you know, and talking about what the military spouse went through. And And I brought her up because she did so much in regards for women who had lost their husbands in war mm-hmm. and of course now we're dealing with you know men and women right it's it's changed over a little bit over the years and um but she really did a lot don't you think for for the family oh of course yeah she really went above and beyond um any expectations for a, a military spouse back then and uh you know it, it's um it's widely understood, I think, especially within military circles, that uh, when you have a high-level command, you know, whether it, it's, um, well, even if it's not a high-level command, even if you're a company commander all the way up through a, a, a brigade, battalion, and even a division commander, if uh, you are married, then your spouse is, in many respects, your partner in command. And mm. that's not to say that the wife wears the rank of her husband, but, uh, you know, she becomes really the leader that all of the other military spouses look towards for mm-hmm. any type of comfort, um, any type of, uh, any 
type of advice and uh, really to be a sounding board and to be a mentor, if, any, if, if nothing else, for all of the other military wives. And, um, you know, one of the best ways uh, to keep morale in the unit high is to make sure that there is a family support system in place. And Julie was really a trailblazer in that regard because, you know, the whole, uh, the whole concept of a family readiness group, you know, the thing that we have in the Army today, uh, was just kind of a nebulous concept before the early 1960s. I mean, it was just understood that the wives had an unofficial social club and uh, that, that they helped each other out whenever they needed any type of mm. assistance. Mm. But you had Julie who pretty much took those ideations and she made a foundation uh, for what would become the Army Family Support Network. And, you know, she, uh, she made sure that, uh, she made sure that all the wives were looked after. She made sure that they had resources. She made sure that, uh, that there were, that there were certain co-ops on the base that could work together to make sure that uh, no one single family member felt put out and that nobody felt left out. And uh, mm. it was really, yeah, it was really the concepts that she put into practice that became that foundation for uh, what many soldiers know today as a family readiness group. And yeah, it stands as a testament to that old biblical saying that a good wife is more precious than jewels, and that uh, mm. you know, that if you have if you have someone who can be a reliable partner and be a sounding board and be someone who uh, will have your back and will and is there to render that mutual support, then that really goes a long way into uh, making a uh, long and fulfilling life, not only for the other spouse, but for, um, for any other uh, spouses that are part of whatever the husband's community of command is. Oh, wow. So it's like a team together. And then a mm -hmm. team is like for husband, wife, team for or wife and wife, husband, husband, you know, for the, the married couple, let's just say, and then for a team for the family unit. Mm -hmm. And then it goes into, okay, so these are the soldiers, you know, on this side, but then these are the spouses of the soldiers. And so that's another two families in a way, you know, it's like a big families, you know, and I think that's something it's really big, family you family know? support group. Yeah. I, I, and full disclosure, you know, obviously we pre-record our segments, everyone. And today we're recording this on April 15th and April, it's tax day. Yay. Um, yeah. But it's uh, <laughs> no, but it's purple up day. And I didn't know that this day existed. And that's why we do our big daily blend shows and, and kind of keeps us on track on why, and, you know, of history, uh, pop culture and music and all that fun stuff. But then today is about the kids. And apparently April is the month of the military child, um, the mm -hmm. military you know, family, and about honoring those kids that travel all over, which I was not a military mm -hmm. brat, but you might as well consider me one in that, you know, Nancy I dragged me like around the world, word. you know, I don't want that. Word I brat. shouldn't like the brat world, but I don't, like I was it. a good brat, but, but Mike, <laughs> um, but that's, doesn't that play into what we're talking about? with you know julia and and having the the spouse that supports because it goes for those kids too because they have to still have some kind of foundation and roots it may not be of a place but it's like the family unit has to be strong for the kids to be strong in life you know it, the uh yeah, there's there's plenty of evidence out there. Um, there are plenty of statistics, and uh, I guess even more pieces of anecdotal evidence that uh, you know that all tell the same story. Hey, uh, when the family is broken and the family unit isn't strong, you know, there the, the it's always a little bit stilting for the kids. You know, it, it can it can go to the extreme where they start devolving into drug use and criminal activity, or you know, it, it can be, uh, you know, it can be, it could be something a little less extreme, you know, like maybe, hey, I'm just uh, very cynical in my outlook of the world. But uh, yeah, you know, there, there's always, there's always a sense of something missing. And there's always a stilted outlook of how you would view things otherwise. 
uh, as opposed to if you grew up in a very strong family unit. Well, okay, well, so this we're leads social me social beings. We're social animals. We're meant to be in a pack, not meant mm. to be loners. We are, you know, that is our upbringing. That's how we are. That's who we are. And so mm -hmm. when you're forced to be a loner or forced to be on the outside, then you don't act the same as you might have act. And I say might have. Um, if you were in a fan, a loving, supportive family group, mm. and I think you know we're social beings, we need to be in a lovely, mm. loving environment most of the time. Mm. Really do. I well, I I want to tag this into Mike's writing and how more, you know, who he was as a person. Um, because we talk about the family unit and what his yeah. wife, you know, Julia was like and what she did mm -hmm. and what he did and how he took care of his, you know, his soldiers, his team, you know, mm -hmm. um, but his also family. go into Mike, because it's, it's interesting, these unsung heroes, I'm going to say, mm -hmm. uh, how more, you know, obviously, you know, Mel Gibson and the, in the movie show, you know, the movie, you know showed his story but um and and you've really continued his legacy so people can get into the nitty-gritty of it um beyond just here's the hour and a half on the screen you know which was still great but you know what i mean um but you you tell the story of these unsung heroes which a lot of times come from families that are disruptive so mm -hmm. it's kind of interesting to see because it seemed to me that how more didn't have as much of a disruptive life as some of the other people you've written about, you know, even uh, J.D. Vanderpool, right? And we were even talking about, you know, uh, Lee Marvin the other day and the last time on the mm -hmm. show, Lee Marvin having kind of a similar pathway into the military and, and being a survivalist. So um, tell us a little bit about Hal Moore, because I think he was a little different than that, right, in his upbringing. Yeah. So how more, um, really the broadest stroke that I can paint is that he had a very strong and tight-knit family upbringing. Um, mm -hmm. When I was interviewing him, I remember one of the first interviews we did and he was telling me uh, about his family background. He said, uh, you know, hey, we, we had plenty of love um, and uh, we always had plenty, we, we always had plenty to eat. Uh, we were very strong and, and very close-knit family. He said, we weren't perfect, but we loved each other. And uh, we never felt like we were lacking for any affection or any of any of the bits of camaraderie that uh, you, mm. know, you, uh, you tend to find in these strong nuclear mm. families. And, uh, you know, I think really that for him instilled a sense of uh, a family in every unit that he was in charge of. He said, you know, I, I know that he was very, very family oriented in his outlook, not only as a part of his upbringing, but, you know, he had that same, uh, you know, he had that same mentality and that same spirit mm -hmm. uh, within his own family, the family that he built with Julie. And, uh, you know, I think on some level, either consciously or subconsciously, he knew that when organizations uh, have a familiar um, tone to them, when they have a familial environment, they mm. tend to function a lot better because there's that sense of loyalty and that sense of mutual trust and mutual respect. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and that's not, and that's really not something that you can learn from a book. I don't know if that's mm -hmm. something you're just ingrained in, something that's imprinted mm. Or, you know, within your natural, within your natural genetic code of talents, or if it's something you just kind of learn through experience, but uh, that's, that's, uh, it, it's unmistakable when you see it. And when you do see it, the units and organizations that have it are the ones that tend to perform the best over the long run. Hmm. Well, it, I think it's trusted. It's also instinct of, you know, the other person, like, you know, yourself and you know, and there are expectations, of course, that they will behave in a certain way. And when they don't, it's always comes as a big shock. But when they do, then you 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 just take it as, yeah, that's how it's supposed to be. 
you know, so when you have a group of, of military people, be men, women, whatever, training together, that is what I think the training's about. It's really not, so yeah, there's the clinical, like how to use a firearm thing. But I think it's more about getting to know the people around you so you can trust, so that you know second nature is going to kick in and that everybody's going to do what they're supposed to do when they're supposed to do it. That's my take on it. I, Ooh, I Mike, you're, you're the one who was in the military. You yeah. did boot camp. You, yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. Is Nancy and you were close on that? Well, yeah, yeah, and that that uh, those those are the feelings that that r really tend to take root, and um, you know it, it uh, uh, and it takes root in a very broad sense. Now, of course, you do have occasions where, uh, and it, I'm trying to think of the best way that I can describe it. You know, you have a certain yeah. dynamic. There's a certain expectation within the military that, you know, you, when you're in those intense training environments that you coalesce together mm. and it, it works, it really does work in the broadest sense, but then you always have a few people within every training unit who, uh, for one reason or another, will become scapegoats. Mm -hmm. And it can be for a variety of reasons. I think... Um, the best way that I think I can describe it, I don't know if you or any of your or any of your listeners out there have ever seen the movie Full Metal Jacket, mm -hmm. but uh, there was the character that was played by Vince D'Onofrio, and mm -hmm. uh, and you know here was a guy who we can tell was very well intentioned, he was very well meaning, um, but you know just had trouble grasping the military life. He. Yeah, he, uh, he, he was very childlike in his outlook and uh, childlike in his mannerisms uh, through no real character deficiency. That, that, that's just, you know, how his heart, his, his heart and his mind functioned. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, he very quickly became uh, a target. He very quickly became a scapegoat. And this is the one thing that you have to watch out for, because, you know, you, you see this a lot in military units and to a lesser degree, you also see it in, in the civilian world, but it's out there where, you know, you have uh, you have overzealous leaders who uh, try to identify targets and scapegoats. They feel that they have to make an example out of somebody. Mm -hmm. And that one person or that one group of people, you know, they they become targets for uh, an overzealous, self-important leader. And uh, the targeting mm -hmm. turns into maliciousness. And uh, that causes the uh, that causes that causes the intended target to crack and lash out in hatred. And if you follow that story arc, that's exactly what happened. Like within mm. the first uh, quarter of the film, Full mm. Metal Jacket, because it was because mm. the 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 the, the D'Onofrio character, um, who, who they called Gomer Pyle, you know, they uh, oh, you know, yeah they, they target yeah. him so much that. He snapped, and uh, you know it was it was a very uh, unfortunate it was a very unfortunate demise for Lee Ermey's character. And uh, you know, as as you're as you're replaying that, and as, as I'm sure that uh, it shocked any number of audiences who saw it for the first time, just like it shocked me for the first time. You you replay all of the scenes mm -hmm. in your head, and you have to wonder. It's like, okay, well, yeah. uh, did 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 the gunnery sergeant, did gunnery sergeant Hartman contribute to his own demise? Had he not been so, yeah, had, had he not been so antagonistic and single focused on his behavior towards Pyle, could the mm. outcome have been different? Is there, you know, because I, I think mm. in any job, but more so in the military, just because of the nature of the work, you know, you, you have to be discerning about, you know, when the times are appropriate to proverbially kick somebody in the rear and give them some tough love. And when is the right time to, you know, throw your arm around someone and say, Hey, you know, everything's going to be okay, mm -hmm. man. I know, I know you're trying, but you're not really cutting the mustard here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because, you know, if, if, if you, if you are too antagonistic and too harshly critical, yeah, it, it, uh, it, it never ends all that well. And I'm, I'm not excusing 
what happened at the end of that scene and that part of the story arc. But, you know, in, by the same token, I have to say it doesn't necessarily surprise me, you know, because you can you can very easily uh, push people to their breaking points. And, uh, you know, you, you don't think about the second and third order effects about what happens if you just keep pushing people too far. You know, it's like watching MASH with Klinger. Klinger just comes right out and like, I'll let me be the, the, the buffoon so that I, I, I don't have to go through the process of becoming it. Let me just be it. I'll take the hits for everybody. Here I am. I'm in a dress. I mean, I know well, he, he wanted show. out of the military. But no, yeah. well, it was, you know, he's trying to get out. But I mean, it was a silly show, but it was really funny. And I thought he did a great job, but I also thought, yeah, he, he was the scapegoat for everything and every, everybody. And he just went there and said, okay, well, then I'm going to redress myself so I'm not really me. I'm over here as a woman. Take it out on that. Oh, mm -hmm. yeah. So you have like yeah, a shell. Not, well, yeah, not, but that yeah. that is it. Like, I mean? um, there's So it's I, like... I, it's not yeah. really me, but I put myself out there and then just laugh with it. Yeah, you've kind of put yourself in a second personality. Yeah. You know what I mean? So that you're I not feeling with it. I that way. Like, because I internally, at first, when I first started watching it a long time ago, I thought, oh man, people in the military are going to be offended. Mm -hmm. And then I thought, oh, that's pretty funny, you know? So, you know, and, and over the years, I just, felt like that that he became willingly became the scapegoat to keep it off his friends and the people around him and because he kind of felt it was going to happen anyway so he just went there well that's that make any sense that's comedy too comedians mm -hmm. have done that most of their lives and you'll find that co comedians are always it's it's you laugh or cry right it's it's the swing mm -hmm. the pendulum and um I think that's that character too, where, you know, it's like, if you go to a funeral, you're either going to laugh or cry kind of mm. emotion. And that's kind of that. I mean, you, people always think someone's always happy because they're making jokes. That doesn't really mean that's true. You know, it, it's, um, it, it's everyone deals with something different in a, a emotion in a different way. And when you go into something like Vietnam and I'm going back to Hal Moore on this, like, you're still in battle. There's still emotion, right? There's still fear. There's oh, yeah. still, but the time is always, you know, time is ticking and, and things are happening so fast in a battle moment. Right. And, and yet you've got adrenaline that takes over too. So your body chemically is doing all these different things. I don't know if they go into that in training, Mike, but what your body goes through or like, <laughs> you know what I mean? But there are chemicals doing things, right? Fight and flight and um, all of those responses. And I think that's, you know, going to hell more. He had to look at, I think he got into understand from what I have read of your books and, and from the movie and everything and going to the museum is, I think he got to understand the people um, that he fought with and led. And yeah. he didn't just look at him as a uniform. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it was that same sense of family and that same sense of uh, that same sense of camaraderie uh, that he brought forward into every single unit that he commanded. And you know, you uh, you take a look at the downstream effects, particularly at the end user level, and you really see that that sense of unity, that sense of camaraderie. Uh, was so pervasive that uh, you know you even years later you have uh, rank and file soldiers who served under him. Uh, they say without hesitation that hey uh, we would have gone through hell and back for that guy. That's how much uh, that's how much we respected mm -hmm. him, and wow. we put forth a lot of effort, not out of fear for what would happen if we didn't. We put forth a lot of effort because by God we didn't want to let him down. Wow. Right. Wow. Because because he cared for them. Mm -hmm. mm. You know, I think if then that goes a long way in leadership. And I, I love I, do you still do uh, speaking um, in, in leadership uh, talks? 
Um, on occasion, because, yeah. Yeah, cool. Because of the Hal Moore on leadership book, winning when outgunned and outnumbered. And I think that is the biggest thing is like they were outgunned and outnumbered. And mm-hmm. yet he pulled things off miraculously, it feels like. But I think it came from him being a family guy, basically. You know what I mean? Having that care deep down. Yeah. Wow. And so that's a lot for people to think. Can you um, go into, for those who may not have seen the movie or read the books, um, can you just give everybody a little bit of an idea of what he did in some of the battles? And we talk about how, you know, being outgunned, outnumbered, um, you know, so because he is famous for some of his maneuvers and getting people out through battles. Um, some of the highlights there, so people... Um, just to jolt memories and for those who may never have heard about him, especially when we think about uh, the Battle of Ladrang, um, what he did there, especially, I think, would be something for people to know about. Yeah, so um, at the Battle of Ai Drang. Um, oh, sorry, I can't pronounce it. See, say that again. Ladrang. 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 Okay, sorry. Yeah. Well, I, I always oh, no, have no, to no, learn. Yeah, um, so... Oh, let's see. So if we wind the clocks back to 1965, uh, the Battle of Ayadrang was really the first major battle between American regulars and the People's Army of North Vietnam. Uh, it mm-hmm. was the first battle where we really had a uh, solid, sustained opportunity to find out how the North Vietnamese fought and uh, just how future battles would play out. Uh, and it was it was a measuring stick for both sides because now we knew how the North Vietnamese fought and now the North Vietnamese knew unequivocally how we fought. And the gut check for them was that they knew that it was not going to be an easy victory like it was against the French. They said, hey, the Americans have this thing called the helicopter and it is a game changer. So we're gonna have to try to figure out uh, how to mitigate that the best we can, assuming we can. And you know, mm. for, for as big of a battle as it was, I don't think it really adequately got the attention it deserved until Hal Moore, who was the commander of American forces at that battle, uh, wrote his book uh, some 25 or so years later called We Were Soldiers Once and Young. Uh, it was a runaway bestseller. Uh, it was on the bestseller list uh, for, I, I wanna say close to a year after it came out in 92. And one of the things that motivated um, more to write about it was, you know, by the late 1980s, you know, he had been he'd been seeing a lot of the war films on Vietnam. And he said this in the opening of the book, he said, Hollywood has gotten it wrong every damn time. He said, you know, they, they, they've always, uh, you know, there's, there's always been a political agenda. There's always been a social agenda. And if you look at most of the Vietnam War films up to that point, I, he's right. You know, and you take a look mm-hmm. at all, all those films like Platoon and Full Metal Jacket, uh, so on and so forth. They all portrayed the Vietnam veteran as somebody who was malicious, somebody mm-hmm. who was unstable, uh, just somebody who you could say is a big misfit in modern yeah. society. And, uh, you know, he wanted to uh, he wanted to get away from that and say, hey, look, you know, uh, we were fighting a war that was unpopular, but by God, the soldiers who were there, they did their job and they did it well. And they did it the best mm-hmm. they could despite being hamstrung on so many levels. Well, that eventually got the attention of some Hollywood producers and uh, they made that movie, We Were Soldiers, which cast Mel Gibson in the role of Hal Moore. And uh, yeah, that I, and I remember seeing it opening night in 2002 and just thinking to myself, mm-hmm. uh, wow, this is the first Vietnam War movie I had ever seen to actually portray the Vietnam veteran in a positive light because I had never seen that before. And, mm. and it, it's, uh, it, it prompted me at that point to learn as much as I could about how more and to try to contribute to the body of literature out there. That was the counter revisionist, you know, to say, you know, Hey, you know, Vietnam is not all of these, you know, horribly, negative stereotypes that we read about so much and you know all of these horrible depictions that we see in the media you know hey these were soldiers who were doing their job and fighting against impossible odds like many other wars that we've had 
And, uh, you know, they deserve a certain amount of respect that we should give to all of our returning war veterans. Um, mm. So, yeah, that that in a nutshell is how Moore and uh, that that snapshot of uh, his career in Vietnam. And then, you know, if you just expand that, you see that he was fighting other battles on other fronts. I mean, yeah, here was uh, here was a guy who uh, fought in some of the worst meat grinder hilltop battles of the Korean War. Of course, he did multiple tours in Vietnam and then was you know, on the ground floor of rebuilding the army from, well, essentially rebuilding the army from the ground floor up after the post-Vietnam malaise. Yeah, and, and he was, didn't he also fight in the Korean, I mean, he, he's done, wasn't he in Korea too? Did, yeah. Oh, am I, yeah, um, Korean, and then I was reading uh, Old Baldy T-Bone and Pork Chop Hill. Where do they come That's up right. with these names? Somebody wanted meat. Somebody was hungry. They wanted Munch a pork out. chop. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but um it's interesting about Fort Benning. So Fort Benning is, you know, it seems that there's um there was this bill that went out or an authorization act um in 2021 to change 10 army bases um named after Confederate military leaders to be renamed. Mm -hmm. And yeah. You know, we're we're seeing this with statues and everything and 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 it's really it it's everybody don't get mad at me, but it's good luck. We we it's about not honoring someone who and then the confe the, the civil war is so complex. Mike, can we do a thing on the civil war at some point? Because it's so complex yeah. because it, it isn't it is. just what everybody thinks it is. Mm -hmm. And there were people that fought there there are people that fought just for their own homeland that exactly. didn't even what understand we half now, of what was going on. You know, we're so, thinking like what we think now and what was happening there are two different things. We right. weren't there. But of course there were generals that were not that nice. And it's like Thomas Jefferson. I mean it was his birthday the other day and they're like, oh honored Thomas Jefferson and then everybody gets upset. And yes, Thomas Thomas Jefferson, um, he did some good things and he did some bad things. And I think when we look back in history, we're there's no one we I there's an interview coming up and um, well by the time this airs it, it would have aired. We were talking about a legacy, your life legacies, right? I think Hal Moore has one of the most amazing life legacies, and so does his wife. Yeah. May we all, uh, you know, work to be that to have that kind of legacy, but no one's perfect, you know? And that's the thing, like you're even saying his backbone of his family life. No, it wasn't perfect, but love was there. True yeah. love and foundation. No one's perfect because the human beings are not perfect. I mean, we, we are complex, weird things. I mean, we are, we're weird. weird. We, we have, we are, we, we're complex. We are emotional. There's chemical stuff going on. Like I'm going back to the chemicals. It's a really good way to put things, but, you know, and emotions are based on that, you know, there's heart and soul, of course, um, there's spirituality. So we fight on all these different levels, territory, religion, all kinds of things, right? It's it yeah. possessive, jealousy. I mean, all this stuff that happens and, and then we need the spirituality and the religion to balance us out a little bit and start getting back to our senses and then we misuse it. So it's kind of interesting how we as human beings are. But leaving a legacy, and we look at these people, and and I don't know, Benning, I, he's a Confederate leader, but um, we none of us want to be pro, and if in our right minds, want to be pro slavery at all. I, 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 it's horrible, and we have slavery going on today. I want to remind people about this all the time. Yeah. We have slavery happening out of our schools with kids all the time. Um, we have human trafficking that's happening all the time slavery has not gone away and yet and we need to remember the past but changing these names is about not honoring those who did bad stuff right but yet at the same time the bad people sometimes did good am, am i saying any of this right mike you got to help me here because it's hard yeah. to explain this I stuff mean, because it is it's right. complex but history's rigging like a melting pot of crazy <laughs> i use the word crazy complex. i didn't want to yeah. <laughs> it, it it is very complex and you know i have mixed feelings on the matter because on the yeah. one hand i do see 
some fair points to be made about some of the people who are saying, well, why do we want to honor these various army posts with the last names of people who we can categorize to be rebels and traitors to their country? But on the other hand, I'm still not convinced that renaming those posts is actually the right thing to do. Exactly. So I have mixed mixed feelings about it. It's like, on the one hand, I see the validity Mm -hmm. of some points, but on the other hand, you know, I I feel that, okay, is renaming these posts really the right thing to do? And not only that, you know, history is not really there for us to like or dislike. It's Mm. not there for us to uh, try to tiptoe around. It's there for us to study and observe. And naming those various posts after those Confederate leaders, you know, for any number of reasons that uh, they had, you know, I've never seen it as honoring their their traitorous behavior. I've never seen it as honoring their rebellious nature. I've never seen it as honoring them being uh, proponents for slavery. I've just seen it as this is part and parcel of our very complex and complicated uh, and our very uh, immensely woven story of American history. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, that's how I've always looked at it. I mean, because I, I've never had a problem with anyone who attended Washington and Lee University, which carries its namesake from Robert E. Lee. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I've never, you know, I've never had an issue with uh, us mm-hmm. learning about uh, various, you know, uh, uh, about the various Confederate generals. I've, uh, I've certainly never had a problem with the general Lee from the Dukes mm. of Hazard. I thought that was like the coolest car around. <laughs> you know? yeah, I knew you're going to go there. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I you know, so I, I, I just don't think that renaming these posts is the right thing to do. Now, I, I am on board. Okay, I am on board with, uh, you know, Mississippi changing their state flag. I'm okay with that because, well, you know, I mean, the, the Confederate flag I think is something that's best kept in museums, maybe best kept for like pop culture and stuff, but not something necessarily to be celebrated at the government level. Uh, But yeah, I mean, it is a completely complex thing. And while, you know, I will acknowledge the fairness and validity of some points that that the other side is making, yeah, I I still have to uh, couch that against this gut feeling, I guess, if you want to call it that that uh you know the, the renaming is just not the right path to go down that there are well, other i just ways. don't want to yeah like i don't want to lose the history it's almost right. like pretending it didn't happen like but on the right. art in the art world there's a movement now where art statues done by artists six and 70 years ago are being torn down mm-hmm. and and i feel the same way you tear it down so you don't have to think about it the whole reason it was there was for you to think about it. But the problem from my personal point of view is sometimes when you read the plaques, and I'm not saying looking at the sculpture, I'm saying when you read the, read the plaques, sometimes they use the word honor, like this sculpture was done in honor of. If they took the plaque away and took the word honor out and just said that this statue was commissioned by so-and-so to show so-and-so. And And why? And leave the of art because the artist just does art, okay? It looks at the subject. It looks like, oh, okay, I was paid to do this, so here's my artwork. It's not political, usually. I'm not saying mm. it's not always. It could be. But I'm just saying destroying the past doesn't fix the future. Right. I think I think it's it's a very mixed it bag doesn't. because it's it's really about not honoring. And when you have something named after someone, it's usually an honor of, you know, and so it's really difficult in the military when it's a fort and, and you know, a, a military base or something like that. It's going to, my mind was always that it was about how they commanded during a military 
you know, a war or a battle or how they led troops, regardless of the side. Like Stonewall Jackson, I think is a good example of, of a, you know, he, that was a story, whether you are on that side or not, there's story mm-hmm. battle stories are battle stories of someone persevering in their belief right i mm-hmm. hate everything to do with slavery and, and i do agree that we need to abolish and abolish even you know the kk people out there now that we still have today and racism and and it's horrible but right. it, taking it away i don't i i i i want like the good bad and the ugly to be represented everywhere so people can see the complexity of human beings and like hey thomas jefferson he had slaves which was terrible we should Mm -hmm. not be doing this again here's some things he did or to consider and make your own opinion go do your own research read learn discuss and let's not be idiots let's not be cruel let's not be mean let's not be racist which we have a real the more things are suppressed the more the underground racism and uh, hatred, I think, breeds, and we don't see it in mainstream America. We don't. I mean, didn't we just see this recently? The more we suppress, the more it's breeding, and just because we don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. And I want things out front, man. I want to see all of it. I want all of it out there education um, education is key. yeah education's key and it, it is opinionated and it's also really i think on the other side we should touch on is very difficult for those who have families that were in slavery and and they're of descent of i think it's hard for them to sit and go i can't swallow this like you're defending somebody who directly had my family mm-hmm. as slaves and beat yeah. them now that's hard yeah. so i think we can't it's not i don't it's not a flippant thing and so i think it's, it's a discussion that has to be continued amongst all of us and we have to fix things in ways of not repeating that's not repeating thing. but not removing because if you remove it you pretend it never happened i mean that's what my, I, yeah. Eventually, wouldn't it be great if you had no wars to write about? <laughs> Which we know <laughs> it's not going to happen, right? You know, unfortunately. But can't we? Isn't that part of for you about history? Is to have peace, as we as we learn more, is to well, understand. Yeah. yeah, you know, I mean, it it. it uh, I I think it's. I think the study of wars and how they start and uh, moreover the the aftershocks, you know, the the uh, the downstream second and third order effects, I think it I think that's one of the biggest that's one of the biggest deterrents for future wars to happen. And mm, exactly. it's it's a pipe dream to think that wars will ever end because I know that they won't, but it oh. I'd like to think that wars are becoming less frequent now than what they were centuries and even millennia ago and i think that's because you know over time people have more access to the historical records and uh you know i I guess more people are learning from history that's why fewer people are repeating it but you know history is always going to repeat itself in some form or fashion because humanity doesn't really change i mean they can they can they can develop some societal checks but uh, yeah, at, at its core, I don't think uh, I don't think humanity really changes all that much. Which is sad. That's why I say slavery is still going on. It's just not remove, in the way. If you, you know. remove all of bad things, stories mm-hmm. that and realities that happened before, if you remove that all, then it's bound and determined to happen again. Because there's no guidelines. Yeah. You know. If she, if they're there, then we go. Hey, we did this like 40, 50, 60 years ago, or hundred years years ago. Didn't turn out that great. Maybe we mm-hmm. shouldn't do it again. But if you remove it and pretend it never happened, oh, then then, you're out. then we're just gonna keep, we're just gonna yeah. keep starting over and from it, square one. And we do have to stand up for things and injustices. We do. Um, yeah, that's the other side. I mean, 
people put their lives backwards instead of forwards. People put their lives on the line all the time and die on the line all the time for other people and for peace and freedom. And that's not that that is not a flippant thing. And yet now, you know, as we go forward in life these days, Mm -hmm. we should be able to speak freely because even if it's wrong, it's up to Mm -hmm. society and for people to have that conversation and argue about it, whatever needs to happen. That's because but it shouldn't be suppressed. That this the suppression is bad. Like to me, that is bad. Once that suppression and people start Mm -hmm. like being shut up, you if you don't have the freedom to write, to produce art, music, all the things that tell the truth, we're so messed up in that way. And so then it is like comedians. I mean, you cannot like their words or or you can go against what they say, but if you don't if you suppress it. It's going to go underground and it's not going to be pretty when it comes back out. I'm telling you that that's the thing. What? Underground stuff. Mike, isn't that right? In, in, in what, you know, in battles and underground stuff will always come out in places that you never expected. Right. Oh, of course. Yeah. Suppression is not good. We, we want to see what's going on and you can have discussions. You can fix things when things are out in the open. And that's what transparency is about. Right. We don't have that much anymore, but when, and in some ways we do, but let's go back to Fort Benning before we all get angry emails and, and Hey, if you want to send an angry email, send one, but if you want to have a discussion, like maybe do that. Um, All right. So, cause none of us are perfect. Fort Benning is being changed. So it will now be uh, under Hal Moore's name, right? So we'll be Fort Moore or Fort Hal Moore. This is all changing May 11th, right? To Fort Moore. That's so right. Uh, yeah, changing to Fort Moore. Now, I mean, if we are going to rename Fort Benning, uh, yeah, I, I can't think of any anyone who is more deserving of that honor. Uh, yeah, because mm-hmm. if you are going to rename it, hey, uh, by all means, <laughs> I'm certainly on board with renaming it to Fort Moore. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, because, I mean, if you just look at everything that... Uh, Look at everything that Hal Moore did, and and everything, and 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 everything Julie Moore did. You know, it would I'd be hard pressed to find uh, anyone who would be better served to absolutely have an army fort named after them. Uh, so yeah, mm. man, I'm, I'm fully on board with that. It's like yeah, you know, uh, let, let's let's uh, give it to someone more deserving. And, and you know, I, I think, and now that I think about it, I would be more on board with the forts being changed if there was a uh, very solid reason for why you were making or I mean if there was if there was a very well articulated replacement for it like I mean mm. I want to uh how uh you know our I remember Roy Benavidez was another was another person under consideration and uh I'm like heck yeah let's let's go ahead and name for it after Roy Benavides, because uh, I mean that guy was uh, I mean that guy was just a machine in Vietnam, and and mm-hmm. uh, you know, not only that, it came over uh, uh, he he overcame uh, some of the most horrific circumstances in combat that I don't think uh, you know, I don't think that even mm. even the best war novelist could come up with you you know mm. Mm. but that but that's the thing I think it's like replace and actually do really good. Um, yeah press releases and things and explain to people it is it is here here is the thing the changing Mm -hmm. of things like statues like nancy's talking about the sculptures and statues move them to a museum don't let them be the focal focal point of your town where you're honoring people that did bad things move them somewhere like you were saying about the confederate flag right um Mm -hmm. which flies prominently through half of our country that Nancy and I've driven on through. Um, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of, it just no matter what, <laughs> it's kind of like a punch gut and, and I'm sorry, yeah. but um, it just isn't, it, it's, there's just things that can be changed and still interpreted. That's where Nancy and I stand is we don't want the history to go away. It just has to be re, redone. And every time you make a change is an opportunity for education for, hey, this is who Benning was. This is what he did, the good, bad, the ugly. And here is what Hal Moore did. And dude, he, he's looking pretty shiny. 
and he's laid to rest at the fort. His wife is laid to rest. His wife's uh, parents are there. So and now what is their connection to Fort Benning? And that's something we should talk about because you can't just go, hey, I'm going to name this fort after this, you know, general over here, even though, you know, they did all these amazing things. What's their connection? I mean, why are they buried there? Or I should say laid to rest. It sounds much better. Right. Well, you know, it's, uh, well, first and foremost, um, well, Fort Benning is the home of the infantry and Helmore was an infantry officer and uh, the unit that he commanded in Vietnam uh, that fought in those, uh, that uh, fought in those opening rounds of the Vietnam War who fought at the Battle of Bai Drang, they were stationed at Fort Benning. And uh, many of the critical events that shaped the conflict and shaped the aftermath of the army came out of uh, Hal Moore's leadership and Julie Moore's leadership as well um, at Fort Benning. You know, it was not only them being the first ones to, sent, to be sent over there in the actual combat mission in the first battle against the NBA, you know, while that was going on, Julie Moore was holding down the fort and uh, rallying support amongst the wives and uh, being that uh, being that solid rock, being that foundation that the wives sorely needed as they were getting news that their husbands were were essentially being killed in action, you know, because it, it was a uh, it was a big point of heartache throughout the film, and it was recounted in the book. That uh, you know, because the army was not prepared for the uh, for the flood of casualties that early in the conflict, that there were no mm -hmm. chaplains, there were no casualty assistance teams. They were simply giving these telegrams to the Yellow Cab Company and having these mm -hmm. cab drivers deliver mm -hmm. you know, the devastating news that their husbands had been killed in action. Yeah. You know, so being that that was an incredible disservice, you know, Julie took it upon herself to, uh, you know, deliver the telegrams and be uh, that source of emotional support that the bereaving spouses desperately needed in that hour. And it was, I think it was from there going forward that, you know, Julie took it upon herself to really make sure that the spouses in every successive unit were cared for adequately and that they had support not only from the community, but uh, from the top brass and uh, from a lot of the lawmakers whose, uh, you know, whose decisions would influence the course of the military. Uh, so, you know, given how all of those things grew out of the Morse tenure at Fort Benning, that uh, mm. really, uh, why Fort Benning has become the, you know, has really become the focal point for Halmore's legacy. I think also because Halmore settled just across the border in Alabama. He settled in mm. Auburn. And, uh, you know, the Auburn Opelika community has very strong ties to uh, Fort Benning, which is just on the other side of the Georgia border. It's, it's, uh, mm. it, it's been a, it's been a longstanding relationship and it, it does not surprise me that uh, at all, really, that, uh, that that would be, uh, that, that would be a place to carry his namesake. I was going to ask, you know, um, when, when, in regards to him being connected to that region, and her, her parents are buried there, so why her parents were her parents involved with the military, or is that just because she uh, had yeah. ties, or just a well, sometimes? Yeah. Well, yeah, she, she was the uh, she was the only child um, born to a military family. Her father was actually a field artillery officer. And uh, you know he he mm -hmm. fought in the he fought in the European theater of uh, of, of World War II, so Julie oh. was already very accustomed to the military life, and uh, yeah it, it's uh, it's one that I think really served her well and put her uh, head and shoulders above um, most other military spouses, mm -hmm. ones who uh, didn't grow up with that level of familiarity. I mean, she pretty oh. much grew up on the base. Yeah, yeah, and Seems and like. so then, when did you? Where did you meet him? Like when you met him, where 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 did you go to meet him? So he was at his home in Auburn. Oh, so you were right there by Fort Benning then. Yeah, well, I I was at Fort Benning. That was during one of my iterations at Fort Benning. Then I went up to Fort Knox and. Uh, hmm. 
And it was like right as I came down on orders to Fort Bliss was when we uh, got underway with our interviews and started talking. And uh, and I, I had been at, I had just arrived at Bliss when I got to uh, fly out to Alabama to spend some time wow. with him before the uh, yeah. Hmm. Wow. Now, how did you how did you find out about him? Uh, find out about how more? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What was the first thing where like, oh, I'm interested in writing about him and oh, getting yeah. to know him? So yeah, that was um that was when I saw We Were Soldiers on opening night. It it uh you know, for me, um I I had a very passing familiarity with the opening battles of the Vietnam War, and I had never heard of Hal Moore. But uh, the movie for me really was a game changer because, uh, you know, it was after the movie that I ended up reading the book. And I mean, I was just fascinated, one, for the portrayal of Vietnam in a light Uh that did not have any kind of negative connotations. Yeah. Yeah. And also, Uh I was like, hey, who is this guy, Hal Moore? And, uh, you know, what else has he done? So but who as calls somebody reading, after that? Like, seriously, who, who says, oh, you know what? I'm going to go and try and meet him. Like, yeah, I'm and, serious, and, Mike. How many times did we, I mean, I didn't go and try and meet Rambo, you know? Like, <laughs> I, <laughs> I did, mean, Nancy but... already met him, so that's fine. But like, you know what I mean? Who who follows that path? Because how uh, many negative so- thoughts do we have in our minds, right? And so well, like, right. yeah. Yeah, yeah. so what well, it, it, uh, it, motivated me because you know then a a few years after I had read the book we were soldiers once and young that's when we are soldiers still uh came out Mm -hmm. it was the follow-up book that he and he and Joe Galloway did and you know I I, at at some point I started looking for a biography on Hal Moore because I, I figured okay somebody had to have jumped on that by that point he's got so much that he's done throughout his career and I was surprised that nobody had yet done one And, you know, I I started thinking to myself, well, you know what, why not take up the project Mm -hmm. myself and see what can come of it? Mm -hmm. Uh, So, yeah, that's exactly what I did. And Elmore, of course, was still living at this point. And, uh, you know, I figured, hey, I'd I'd contact him. And, you know, through enough persistence, you know, he he said yes. And uh, it turns out that uh, at, at, at the time, his eldest, or no, excuse me, his youngest son was uh, was still on active duty. He was a full bird colonel at the time, and hmm. uh, and he. It turns out that his son was on temporary duty at Fort Bliss right at the same time I was there. So I got to I got to meet Hal Moore's youngest son. I introduced myself. I'm like, you know, hey, sir, this is me. And, uh, and he, he said, well, yeah, Mike, you know, uh, if you want to come visit dad this summer, I can help facilitate that. And yeah, that's, uh, cool. yeah, that, that is, that, wow, it, awesome. that, that is pretty much how I got my inroad to meet Hal Moore. And it, it was, it was an incredible experience, really was. Awesome. I think it's, it's wonderful. And I think it's wonderful that you followed a passion, you know, uh, followed someone's mm-hmm. stories and that. You tell people stories, you know, and, and like mm-hmm. I said, many that are unsung heroes, um, you give them voice. Um, J.D. Vanderpool, you know, uh, the last book, uh, you know, J.D. Vanderpool, but Coyote Recon, you know, um, but before that, Combat Diaries, as we see, you know, the end of the greatest generation, as we've talked about on the show before, um, I think it's just so important to tell these stories because there's so much bravery and bravery is not just a word, man. It's it is really going for it. And and really, when people put their lives on the line, that is, like I said, that is not a flippant thing. That is such a um, we're privileged, all of us, to have people who do that for us. And and so, um, I think it's really important that you tell the stories so people understand the people behind the uniform, because uniforms can become a blur to people, especially on the news, and. Yeah. And we forget that these are human beings, just like our neighbors, our friends, our family, um, who do this, men and women. And um, so it, we really appreciate it. So before you go, I know, Mike, we've kept you here a long time. You know how we mm-hmm. talk too much, right? You know, we're good at that. But um, what's next? Are, we want to know what's happening in the book department, because it is 25 books, right? Are we at 25 now? We're not we, yeah. you. Dude, you're aging. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm teasing you. <laughs> nice I'm just saying, like, I'm teasing you because, like, seriously, 
he's young, but 25 books, come on, that's a lot of books. That is amazing. I'm always amazed whenever you, you know, even like 10 books would be still amazing. It should amazing, be like right? a history course. Like they yeah. should be in schools. <laughs> I know. If we were still living in one place, we would have a whole wall of Mike Wardia. Like seriously, well, you we have your books it, it, in our storage unit. We have very few things that we can't. Seriously, one of one of the things that your books bug me about history in schools was somehow teachers made it exceedingly boring. Yeah. Now, if they had some of the books that we've been able to read, it would be totally exciting. I would go. To, why not? Well, Mike it's school. the history of who we are. Yeah, and mm -hmm. it shouldn't be boring because it's not. Mm -hmm. Now you make and, history fun. Yeah. And so I would like to see, you know, I'd, I I really would like to see some of the films that we've been able to watch and some of the books we've been able to read in the classroom. Well, and, well, and but somebody you, you've also on yeah, about one date after another. Because no, dates no, but my relative, you, we can't watch anything military, read anything military without strategizing now. Now you've changed our <laughs> mindsets, right? So now we're like, okay, like now did this, who did this? Like, okay, you know, it's <laughs> because it is like a mystery, right? You know, battles and stuff. So it's like, we may not know all the technical terms for any of it, but by golly, man, Mike has got our minds totally shifted over into well, like, all right, but, this is going down. She, so so going to come over real. here. <laughs> No, yeah. because he made history alive yeah. and real. And it should be, mm -hmm. if you want your kids to learn history, you need to give them the right books and the right films, and it has to be alive. And everyone needs to read Coyote Recon because that is still mind-blowing, man. I'm still thinking about <laughs> the big explosion. I still can't, I can't get past that. <laughs> I can't get past like the real big kaboom. Like he did that. He did that <laughs> in the Pacific theater. It's like, hello. Mm -hmm. Here we are. And yet, like, again, an unsung hero, right? And so, like, I still, but still, like, that's crazy. I still can't, like, I I think about that about every week or so. Something will come up in history. I'm like, well, J.D. Vanderpool, like, he would have blown that up. Like, he would have been, yeah, like, feel like, oh, yeah, watch this. Yeah, I know. Sorry. But anyway, what's next, Mike? Sorry. <laughs> oh, no, no. Let's see. Um, next is Fire in the Hole. And that is mm. a story of the combat engineers in Vietnam. And uh, mm. yeah, I, for, for those out there who may be less familiar with what combat engineers do, um, these are the guys who set landmines. They do force detonations of landmines. Oh they my set God. up. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they, they, they set up the they set up the barbed wire obstacles. You know, they dig the tank ditches. You know, anything that can trap the enemy and can impede their movement, they're responsible for. And on order, they can fight as infantrymen. Um, wow. So yeah, the guys who are carrying like the C4 explosives and uh, uh, just incredible stories from these guys who served with uh, Charlie Company, the First Engineer Battalion. Uh, mm. You know, they, they had such a uh, they had such a critical role. And you know, uh, the, my experience has been that the combat engineers they they don't get as much uh, press coverage. They don't get quite as uh, yeah. as much as you know, the mm. mainstream combat branches do, you know, like the infantry, artillery, armor, and uh, and so mm. on. But, uh, you know, just incredible stories all around. And, and yeah, I, I, I think that, uh, I think it's going to be uh, one that resonates with the existing audience quite well. Mm. That's amazing. Awesome. When do you think that's going to come up? So I'm hoping to uh, finish the first draft of that by the summer. And uh, cool. yeah, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll, see where it goes from there yeah that's cool. fascinating because i know there's still mines out there like there's still areas right that you there's still there's still bombs underground like there's still like where's that some place lisa we went where there's that camel statue and the jolly something or other and they said that's still, quartz quartzite that high desert yeah. jolly yeah did where they say there's still things that you shouldn't go walking out there because you could Oh, but that, but that that wasn't like they they didn't do like you know like I I grew up learning about limpet mines, but yeah. um so a lot of that is in testing fields like Kofa National Wildlife Refuge is part of um it's a military base out there in Yuma area, mm. um that whole area there's, I mean you can drive by <laughs> tanks and and General Patton did a whole bunch out there, yeah yeah and there's a bunch of POW 
uh, camps out there too um, that that mm -hmm. were out there, and the Germans and Italians would sit and drink wine and make and paint and and do agriculture. Yeah, there, there's all kinds of crazy stories out in the Arizona desert. I tell you, you never yeah, know what happens in desert place. life. Well, Mike, mm -hmm. as always, thank you so much for joining us. We look forward to our next time with you and everyone. We're going to be doing some special programming for Memorial Day weekend, uh, talking about different military services across the country. Uh, so please stay tuned with us at bigblendradio.com. But of course, keep up with Mike. He's on amazon.com for his books and go to mikeguardia.com. He's on YouTube. Follow him on YouTube. If you're into military history, man, he blows things up all the time. I'm not really, he's not the one blowing them up, but he does put things blowing. Nice. I'm always looking like, Mike, what is that? You know, but he get that's the true geek out station. Um, but also uh, he's on Instagram now and Facebook and Twitter as well. Just look up Mike Guardia. Thank you so much, Mike. Thanks, Mike. Thank you, ladies. Always a pleasure to be on the show.